We're going to be in Revelation 13 and 14, but let's go back to uh, Sunday and turn to uh, Daniel chapter 9. And again, one of um, our goals is to see the interconnection between the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Daniel 9, of course, is the, is the 70th week of Daniel, also known as the Great Tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. And if you look at the last verse of Daniel 9, verse 27, it is Revelation 13 and 14. So what we have here in one verse We have expanded in 13 and 14. God owes Israel seven years. So verse 27, the he is a reference to the Antichrist, who we'll be looking at in more detail tonight. So he, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week or a seven-year period of time. But in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering, And on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even unto the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So Daniel wanted to know, if you flip just a couple pages of Daniel chapter 12, uh, Daniel looks and he wants more information. But in verse 4, the Lord tells Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. Um, What Daniel was not able to know, and he said it's actually shut up and sealed. Now we're in the book of Revelation where it actually means to open up and reveal. So let's go to Revelation 13. And that one verse in Daniel 9 is uh, given to us here what we have. Let's go a little bit through chapter 12 in our way we're working up to this. What we have in verses 7, well, let's pick it up in verse 13, or verse 12. We have, uh, we'll be talking about more of this on Sunday. Uh, we'll be in Daniel 10 on Sunday, which is uh, what goes on in the spiritual dimension, especially when it comes to prayer. And in verse 12, we have Lucifer um, removed from heaven. And we read verse 12, O heavens, rejoice, but you who dwell on the earth, woe to you, to the inhabitants of the earth. For the devil has come down to you with great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. So how much is a short time? He goes, the dragon and that had been gassed to the earth to persecute the woman. Now we know that the woman is Israel, who gave birth to the male child. And here we're told, so he's cast down. He knows he has a short time. And now 14 will tell us how much time he has. Tells us, but the woman, Israel, was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. We talked about that being Basra. That'll come up tonight in the study. Basra, Selah, or Petra, they all mean the same thing. Um, And she was to fly into the wilderness where she is nourished for a time and times and half a times from the presence of the serpent. So again, in Daniel 9.27, 
it tells us in the middle of the week, a seven-year period of time. The devil is cast down out of heaven right in the middle of that three-and-a-half-year period of time. He knows he has a short time. How much time? Well, verse 14 tells us, three-and-a-half years. So, again, let's, let's connect this. Here's a direct connection between Daniel 9:27 and all of chapter 13, where now we're going to have detail added, which is often the case when we have an Old Testament prophecy, where um, you might have one verse. Um, there's one verse in Revelation 12 that talks about the resurrection. Well, we have a whole chapter, and much of the New Testament, especially 1 Corinthians 15, that's all about the resurrection. So as we pick it up, um, it's a continuing thought. Um, he goes after those that are fleeing. Remember, Jesus talked about the abomination of desolation. And he gives instructions. When you see it, run. Don't go back into the house. Pray it's not wintertime. Pray you're not pregnant. Um, because then, we'll, then there will be great tribulations. And they do run. And they flee. And um, the devil goes after him. Um, but the Lord protects the remnant that are on the run. And verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman, or Israel, and went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So evidently, great revival we're told in Revelation 11, just turn the page back, that the two witnesses um, arrive on the scene. And verse 3, it says, I will give my two witnesses, I think they're Moses and Elijah, they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Okay, that's another three and a half years. But what part of the three and a half years? The first half of the three and a half years. Because we read in verse 11 that the Antichrist kills them and they're dead in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And the whole world is watching it. This is, we're the only generation that has the technology. A hundred years ago, this could not have been applicable. But the whole world watches them literally rise into heaven. So there's been great revival. The 144,000 are going to come up tonight. They were supernaturally sealed in Revelation 7. They will be witnesses for the gospel. So here, let's make the connection again. Daniel 9, verse 27, is a covenant that is now broken. We're three and a half years into the devil being cast out of heaven. We already have the beast, and we're going to be introduced to the false prophet. And... Um, I'll leave it at that, and we'll start with verse 1 and 2, where it tells us, that, but you've got to tie it into verse 17, where then John says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head blasphemous names. Now the beast which I saw was like a bear, a leopard, had feet like the feet of a bear, and the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his authority. The dragon is revealed to us in verse 9 of chapter 12, that great dragon called the devil and Satan, just so that there's no doubt who we're talking about here. 
Um, the dragon gave the beast, who is the rider on the white horse in Revelation 6, verse 1. When the very first seal is opened, the Antichrist comes out. And uh, in Daniel, we learn that um, he conquers with peace. And so he makes this covenant, this peace treaty. How much he knows at that time about himself, we really don't know because the scriptures really don't say. Um, Whether it's an ongoing thing of uh, power and conquest, we don't know. But we do know that it's broken in the middle. So here we are in the middle, and now we're introduced to the beast but this beast has his power, uh, and notice that it's likened to other kings that we've been studying in Daniel. Remember that um, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 7 was a lion, and then um, the Medo Persians were a bear, Alexander the Great was a leopard. And the only thing different here is the order is reversed. And I don't know the reason for that, except one was looking forward and the other one's looking backward. Maybe that's the easiest explanation. So what we have as we look at this is the Antichrist. The ten horns and the ten diadems speak of the tenfold division of the Roman Empire in the time of the Great Tribulation. Again, we need to understand Daniel now, because Daniel was interested in the fourth beast, We have Babylon, Medo-Persian, Grecian, Roman. The Roman fell from within. And it said, but in the latter days, there's going to be this little horn that's going to come out of the fourth kingdom, the revived Roman Empire. So why should we be interested in this? It's not a history lesson. It's um, telling us what's about to unfold. Um... Not for the church, but for people who die or don't believe in Christ. This is a time where uh, God will judge the world for the rejection of his son. And um, so what we have in reference to it, the beast is going to have all the qualities of these leaders. Like a Nebuchadnezzar, like a Darius, like Cyrus, like an Alexander the Great. Great kings, great conquerors all rolled into one, and that's why Daniel was so intrigued with this beast that is going to rule during especially the last three and a half years. Now, what happens next? Um, In verse 3, one of his heads, as it, I saw one of his heads, it had been mortally wounded, and the deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Uh, What we have here is a false resurrection. People say that um, he really died, and uh, the dragon, the devil who gave him his power, power, actually brought him back to life. Only God uh, can bring a person back to life. Good place for an amen. So what we have here is a counterfeit. Anti, the anti could be easily replaced with counterfeit Christ or against Christ, but it could also be a count, counterfeit. What I think is happening here is that 
at the Last Supper, the Bible says, and the devil entered Judas Iscariot. And the Lord looked at him and, and said, Judas, what you do, do quickly. And he got up and left. And he went and sold out the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. But it clearly says that the devil entered him. It's the only place in the Bible, uh, many places it talks about demon-possessed people. But only one place does it say the devil specifically, Lucifer, entered Judas Iscariot. Well, I think it happens right here again. And what we have here is now that he's been kicked out of heaven, tying chapter 12 into 13, is he has a John Fitzgerald Kennedy moment where he's shot with absolutely no hope of, of um, life again. But could you imagine JFK getting out of a hospital bed and coming out and talking normally? And would, would not all the world marvel? That's the result of this false resurrection. I believe that this guy could have died, um, and Lucifer somehow deceives the world. Matter of fact, well, we'll, we're going to go there a little bit later, but I'll mention it now. The Lord talked about this event, false Christ and false prophets, showing great signs and wonders. But let's go to 2 Thessalonians 2. And uh, let me give you a different, a little bit different take. I'm not going to be dogmatic about this because I've always looked at the lie here of the Antichrist, that, that um, the deception that is there. Verse 3 basically is saying that um, um, the Great Tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, can't come until the Antichrist the first seal is opened. That's verse 3. And it says that he opposes himself, makes himself to be God. And what we're going to see in Revelation 13 tonight is that the false prophet is going to command that an image be made, just like in the book of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar, and you either worship the image or you die. Exactly the same thing. But then it goes on, um, and it talks about the mystery of lawlessness and sin. And verse 9, referring to the Antichrist, he says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not love the truth, which was the gospel, that they might be saved. Now, because of this, it says, For this reason, God is going to send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. All right, here's a possibility. I've often thought it could be an ET that comes down and explains why we're really here. But probably what the lie refers to is the false resurrection, the deadly head wound being healed. Go back to... Revelation 13, we have a false resurrection. Everybody believed he was dead, but all of a sudden he's alive. And he's alive, um, and as a result of him being alive, they begin to worship the, Lucifer, the dragon. Now, what has he always wanted? 
He's wanted one thing from the beginning, to be like the Most High, who is worshipped night and day, the four living cherubim saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And he coveted that. He wasn't content with being the most beautiful and full of knowledge, the number one cherub. He wasn't content. And so he wanted more. Um, He tempted Jesus, get down and worship me. All these kingdoms belong to me. I can give them whoever I want to. The Lord said, the Lord rebuke you. He said, Jesus said, I came unto my own and my own received me not. Another will come in his own name. His name is going to be key to chapter 13. It's the number, 666, that it adds up to. Jesus said, another will come in his own name, and that's the guy you're going to receive. Now, um, so as we look at the fatal head wound being healed, and again, I won't be dogmatic on this, but I believe that's the lie that the world believes that causes, here's a guy that was really, really dead, or at least everybody thought so, and the lie is that this is not a real resurrection because only God can raise the dead. And yet, uh, that, that, it seems, is what the world believes. They worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who's like the beast, like this guy? Who's able to go to war against him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Okay, gang, how many times does the Holy Spirit need to break up a seven-year period into two different sections until we get the point? This is an extremely important part of the Old Testament, this event that we call the abomination of desolation. And I know I'm repetitive on this, but like, J. Vernon McGee says, repetition, repetition, repetition. (laughs) That's how we learn. So why is it so repetitive? Here it's 42 months. Well, a couple of verses ago, it was time, times, and half a times. Uh, For the two witnesses, it's 1,260 days. Other places, it just says three and a half years. Do we get the point? (laughs) So this is all happening in the middle. Satan's just been cast out. The beast is killed by some assassin's attack. He's dead, and all of a sudden he's alive. And it all happens at this particular time and results in, because the world is so blown away by this this false um, um, miracle, that they worshipped him. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So his animosity and his hatred is directed towards the Father, but also to you and me. Do you know that he hates you? you know that you're a threat to him? you know the Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world? And he has, I like to call him a big dog with no teeth or a bee with no stinger. A lot of bark, but no bite. He doesn't have the authority. Now, there were some Jews that were watching Peter and and Paul and some of the guys casting demons out, and they thought they would try it. They weren't born-again Christians. 
And they say, we command you, evil spirit, to come out in the name of Paul or Peter. And the demons looked at the guy and said, well, we know Peter and we know Paul, but who are you? And they came out of the guy that was possessed, and they beat the stun out of the guy. That's really a part of this, what the scriptures teach. The demonic man in the land of the Gadarenes broke his chains, man of steel. Supernatural powers that are there. Now, verse 7 said it was granted for him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given over him of every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the final, now Roman, empire who is headed up by the Antichrist. He will have his time. And um, he will get authority. The last time there's been a world dominating empire was Rome. And um, people have tried, the Mussolinis, the Hitlers, the Stalins, you know, there's been people who've tried it, um, but unsuccessfully. Up until this moment, it says every tribe and tongue and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. What a great scripture. Before this world ever was, the plan of salvation was already laid out. Before the foundation of planet Earth. That shouldn't shock us because of this. God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. And that simply means there isn't anything that he's all-knowing. There's nothing that God doesn't know. So before this world ever was... He knew that there would be, and he knew that Adam and Eve would fall, and he knew the whole thing. There's nothing he doesn't know. Now, for me, that's very encouraging because I know how this book ends. And the earth is going to go through a dark time, and we're reading where he knows that the Lord has allowed him a short space of time, three and a half years. He's got three and a half years, and the Lord cuts him loose. And uh, that's when, of course, that's when the two prophets die, Moses and Elijah, and they're taken into heaven. All right, that's the first beast. Um, I believe he is demon-possessed at this time, and I believe that Second Thessalonians 2, that they would believe the lie, that's probably it, but again, not going to be dogmatic. Verse 11, we're introduced to the second beast. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth who had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast in in his presence and caused the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performed great signs so that even he made fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Well, You know, this is what Elijah did. A couple months we'll be on Mount Carmel, where, you know, they had the big showdown between the 450 prophets of Baal and uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Well, this guy is duplicating what Elijah did. And as a result, let me put it in these terms. If there's an antichrist, then we also have an anti 
John the Baptist. One who encourages the the last thing that there's three musts in John chapter 3. You must be born again. And then he said to Nicodemus, I must be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. But the third must in John 3 is he must increase and I must decrease. I call them the three musts of John 3. Well, here, this guy is like John the Baptist. He is the one that is heralding the Antichrist and um, calling fire out of heaven the same way that Elijah did. And by so doing, uh, this would be a good place to turn to Matthew 24. Do it right here. Matthew 24, we'll be coming back to it in just a bit, but for right now, it talks about verse 50, the abomination of desolation, telling them to run. Um, Then he says in verse 23, 24, it says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show, notice, great signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if if possible, even the very elect. See, I I have told you beforehand, therefore if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner room, don't believe it. Or in this case, if he calls fire down from heaven, don't believe it. Because Christ is the only one that is the real and one worthy to be worshipped. So I sort of look at this guy as a John the Baptist and pushing the attention towards the beast. Verse 14, And he deceived those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. All right, let's go back to Daniel. In defiance, when Daniel interpreted the dream in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar for a day or two was completely blown away because Daniel wasn't even told what the dream was. He goes to Nebuchadnezzar, tells him the dream, and then gives the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed that he made Daniel number two man in all of Babylon. But that didn't last long. He slept on it. And he says, what do you mean? Somebody's going to replace my kingdom. My kingdom is going to replace? I don't think so. So in defiance, he makes an image. The the numbers, it's 60 cubics by 6 cubics. Isn't that interesting in light of 666? These are all tied together. Now we have an image from Daniel that if you don't worship this, you're going to die. Shadbeck, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't do it. Why? Second commandment. Make no graven image, no butt on to it. And they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Daniel is not in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, if he would have been there, he would have not bowed down either. But I believe Daniel's a type of church, and that's a picture of the tribulation. So Daniel 2 and Revelation 13 is also tying together. Again, I know I'm being repetitive, but can you see how closely and how fine-tuned and on spot the Holy Spirit is in in helping us grasp that this stuff is really going to happen? 
because it happened before. So the beast, this one is a little bit different. It's not made out of gold, but he was granted to give power, to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed, just like in Daniel chapter 3. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or their forehead, that no one would buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, for years, everybody's speculating who is the Antichrist. And um, to me, it's an exercise in futility because I don't think any of us are going to know. Um, I don't believe he arrives on a scene till after the church is raptured. And um, there are prototypes, I think, of him in the world today. I think this new guy in France is a very interesting char- character to keep, keep your eye on. He, he sort of comes across, comes out of nowhere. And um, um, he'll be a, re- perceived as a man of peace. He'll let Israel build his temple, something nobody's been able to accomplish. No peace treaty has ever been followed through with. So we have um, undisputed control over the monetary system of the entire world. There will be a one world currency and it revolves around the worship of him. You don't worship, you don't eat. And, um, you know, Mary's been given updates for years on what different possibilities it would be. Is it one of those RIF chips that you can plant? And, um, well, geez, you can you can leave your cell phone in another state and uh, and your computer will tell you where it is. We have that tech technology today. We got an app, lost my phone, how to find it, you know. And we have technology today where we're creating human beings that speak. Robots with the technology that look human. Scary human. I've seen um, some of them. And uh, so we're at that place with the technology. But again, it's it's an either-or issue. He will be worshipped. And the last thing we read is, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is the number of a man, and his number is 666. I'll touch on gametria just for a second. Um, The Hebrew alphabet... Every letter has a numerical value contributed to it. So that you could actually take a Hebrew name and whatever equivalent, uh, let's take Alf for the first letter, um, has a, math, a number associated with it. So whatever it is, if you're using it, it's called gametria. If you're using it, it his name will, if it's in Hebrew, uh, will add up to... Uh, 666. Who is who is he? We don't know. The technology that's there, well, um, these days when I go to the airport and I, I don't give my boarding pass, I just take my phone and put it down 
and they have all the information they need. And I get right on through. It's all you need. And so the technology exists for this to take place today. Um, Exactly what it is, uh, the very fact that it says that in Revelation, the promise to the churches that God's going to write his name on our forehead. Can you see the counterfeit? He wants your name, his, his name, on your head. And it's nothing more than another counterfeit. Only his is mandatory, where for us, when we took and became believers in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was anybody twisting your arm? If they did, they, they shouldn't have been. And uh, we did it because it's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. Good place for a day, man. We did it because we love him. You did that for me. And um, Dylan's got a great song about that. What can I do for you? All that you've done for me. Well, all he wants is for us to offer the sacrifice of praise, singing love songs to our Savior. What does this guy want? Either you do it or you die. That's quite a difference. And so uh, in place of counterfeits all over chapter uh, all over chapter 13. Now as we get into um, chapter 14, we find the 144,000. Then I looked to behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion with 144,000 having his father's name written on their heads. So now the contrast. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. So guess what, gang? There really is harps in heaven. Can you believe it? I know there's loud clanging cymbals and 12-string instruments and trumpets, but... They really are harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Well, that makes me think, and the cross-reference here is Revelation 5, 9, where it says, those that were redeemed out of every tongue, tribe, and nation sang a new song. And they were the only ones who could sing it. And the words are there. We don't know the melody yet, but the words are all written down. That's the church, chapter 5, before chapter 6, which is the beginning of the tribulation. Now we have them now in heaven. And it's the 144,000 that were sealed back in chapter 7. And it says, these are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They're the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God, to the Lamb. And in their mouth was, no, was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So we have the 144,000 before the throne of God singing this new song, that only they can sing. Now, God always leaves a witness. And this is really important. Uh, 
one of the main things as as we teach through the Bible that um, you know the Lord first of all uh, called Abraham uh, to leave Ur of the Chaldeans to walk by faith go to a place where he was just called. He didn't, didn't know where he was going. He was just to be the father of, of faith. And he was to be a witness. Um, all the laws, the testaments, the commandments were given to the nation of Israel. The reason they went into judgment for 70 years, we read on Sunday, is because they didn't keep the commandments of God. Namely, the Sabbath year. The land was supposed to rest um, once every seven years, and they broke that for 490 years, 70 Sabbaths. So they were supposed to be a witness, but they weren't a witness. Who were the witnesses? Well, the prophets. The prophets came um, and gave the word of God, rebuked them for not... Um, being obedient to the Lord by serving the Baals and being eventually, the prophets told them, you guys are worse than the inhabitants that lived here that we drove out. That your behavior has become more lewd and more sinful than the nations that were before you. What's your point, Dwight? Well, they were a witness, at least they were supposed to be, but they were a bad witness. So then we have Pentecost. The Lord tells the disciples, don't do a thing. Don't go anywhere. Don't try to do anything on your own because you'll mess it up. Wait for the promise to come, the Holy Spirit. So the last thing that Peter does before he's baptized in the Holy Spirit says, well, I was reading the Bible. It says that uh, we have to replace the one who... um, betrayed the Lord. So let's pick out a couple guys, Matthias and Justice. And they named a couple. And um, they cast lots through the dice. And uh, it fell on one of the disciples. And you never hear his name again throughout the entire Bible. They get, Lord, here, we'll give you two choices. The Lord says, I haven't picked either one of them. He picked the Apostle Paul. Paul an apostle, that's what he calls himself. But he wasn't on Peter's list. What's your point, Dwight? Well, that's the last thing Peter did before he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he got up to speak again. What happened this time? Well, 3,000 people got saved. And what's interesting about that, it was God working through Peter, cutting people's heart to repentance where they were begging and saying, what must we do to be saved? And the Lord says, you, through Peter, you've got to repent and, um, and be baptized. And it says that day, 3,000 were baptized. John 1 verse 17 says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now think about the day that the Holy Spirit came and what happened. 3,000 people get saved. Think about the day that, that Moses brought the Ten Commandments, the law, down to the people. What happened that day? 3,000 people died. They were having a party. 
They were dancing naked around a golden calf. And the, the Lord called on, the, on, on, on those, I think, I don't know who he called on, but he called on them and he says, kill them. 3,000 people died when the law was given. Are you, are you catching this here? And 3,000 were saved when the Spirit came? You think that's a coincidence? The Bible says the law brings what? Death. But grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. How many people got saved when grace and truth was presented for the very first time? 3,000. How many people died when the law was given the first time? 3,000. Yeah, that's just a coincidence that I'm supposed to believe that. No way. Gang, the, the deeper you go with, with God's word, and he tells us for the countless ages to come, he's just going to begin. We're just scratching the surface right now. And he's going to show us the real stuff that's in here. I can hardly wait for those Bible studies. <laughs> All right. During our age, the church, you're called to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Right? Somebody say amen to that? We're to be witnesses. A living witness that I belong to Jesus, and I'm not ashamed to say so. Um, we began at Pentecost. That'll end at the rapture. So right after the rapture, I believe the world goes into complete turmoil. It'll look for a world leader. And, um, but God, if God always leaves a witness, who's witnessing now? Well, how long does uh, the two witnesses in Revelation how long is their ministry? Three and a half years. Church takes up, but we still have a witness. Well, they get killed. Now what? They get killed right in the middle of, of, of this when um, uh, the, the beast kills them, right in the middle of, of this, this covenant. And uh, no more witness. And... Um, so if God always leaves a witness, 144,000 are singing before the throne of God in heaven, what does God use for a witness? Sometimes I think what he should have been using all along. <laughs> Angels. It was an angel that appeared to Peter. Remember? Or, or to Cornelius. And said, send for Simon Peter and he'll tell you how to get saved. And uh, you guys are all familiar with with the story. I mean, you got an angel right there. Just use the angel, Lord. That's, uh, that's pretty heavyweight stuff. No, the scripture says that the Lord has chosen the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise so that when people get saved, they will look and go, well, it certainly wasn't this person. It certainly wasn't Dwight, and it certainly wasn't Mike, and it certainly wasn't whoever. And God gets the glory. So, I'm all that to bring you to verse 6. God still will have a witness. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having what? The everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. What does it say? To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 24. This is a great missionary uh, verse quoted in Matthew 24, verse 14. And it's, right be, it's, tied, it's the verse right before the abomination of desolation, which is Revelation 13, okay? 
It says, and the gospel, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end's going to come. Well, we've been witnessing for 2,000 years, but we're raptured. The two witnesses, the 144,000, they did it during their time, and they're gone. And here we are right on the edge, I believe, of the rapture of the church. And Christianity is not the fastest growing religion in the world today. What is? Say it loud. Islam. Hands down. And so, what's your point here, Dwight? Well, I believe the fulfillment of Matthew 24, right before verse 15, which is the abomination of desolation, is fulfilled because it clearly says that the, we have an angel now in heaven. There's going to be three of them. But the first one is preaching the gospel. And who is he preaching the gospel to? Every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. I believe it is the fulfillment of Matthew 24 and what Jesus was talking about. Because certainly the church isn't, as, uh, as much as we're, there is a faithful church in the last days, the Church of Philadelphia, which we want to be. A little in strength. We won't deny the, the Lord, and we won't put up with false doctrine and all of that. And he said, because the Church of Philadelphia would do that, they would be kept from the hour of trial that will come upon the entire world which is the Great Tribulation. All right, so that's the first angel um, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs and and the water. And not this uh, image. And verse 8, this is the second angel. Another angel fall. Uh, followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We'll be getting into her in a couple weeks in chapter um, 17, Mystery Babylon. The third angel followed saying with a loud voice, if anybody worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, He himself will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out with full strength in the cup of his indignation. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Well, this tells us a lot. It tells us that um, there are people, uh, like in Roman times, hiding underground in the catacombs. They're not going to take the mark of the beast. Why? Because they've been warned not to. By who? By an angel. Don't do it. <laughs> and they don't. Um, it's going to cost them. Um, they'll probably starve to death. But um, we, we have three clear warnings here. One is there's the real gospel. Believe that. Now, if I'm living during this period of time, I don't care how hungry I am, and I got some angels saying, believe the gospel, that I'm going to believe the gospel. And um, um, the headquarters of the world is going to be in, in um, Babylon. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter 17 and 18. 
And the third one says, don't take the mark of the beast. It is your death sentence if you do. And it is forever and ever and ever. No parole. This, this is a forever judgment. <clears throat> and here it says, here's the patience of the saints. And here are those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying to, to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So it'll, it'll be a blessing to be able to uh, check out during this period of time. Now the last section here is uh, uh, the, the, the great harvest. But it's a harvest of, you know, in Matthew 24, it talks about the separating the sheep from the goats. Let's read this here, and what we have in view here is the Son of Man, is clearly the Lord. It says, And I looked, and behold, in a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now he who sat in the crown thrusted his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar and had power over fire and cried with a loud voice, who had the sharp sickle, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. We have people dying who didn't take the mark of the beast. Blessed are those who die from this point on. Where do they go? Um, They will, of course, be um, the harvest of those who believed. But the other angel... Here, I'm going to have you turn to Isaiah chapter 63. And before I do that, I'm going to read the last verse where it tells us in 14. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. 1,600 furlongs is 184 miles. All right. The first time I heard this, it blew my mind. Not, not um, chapter 63, but the 184 miles. So I'll, let's read this first. Who is this who's coming up from Edom with dried garments from Basra? Okay, gang, what's Basra? Selah, right? What else is it? Petra. Petra, Basra, Selah, one and the same. And if you want to cross-reference on that, again, Isaiah chapter 60. But here, in Isaiah 63, it's a question. 
who is this coming up from Edom who's dyed garments from Basra, the one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I who speak in righteousness mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? Now that's a direct quote from Revelation 14. I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger, trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. Why? For the day of vengeance, that is another name for the great tribulation, is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I've had it. Just like he had it in Noah's day, and he says, that's as far as I'm going to go. And... um, the world was, it was over. And now what's interesting that, here's the great thing about going over and through the Bible over and over and over and over and over again. You stumble across little treasures, little nuggets every once in a while. In November, end of October, first part of November, on our very first day we will be standing on Mount Carmel. And it has this, if you go straight across and you look east, you'll see the city of Nazareth. But in between, you have what we call the Valley of Megiddo. Every general who's ever seen it said it's the best battleground that could ever be in the entire world. Do you know how many miles it is from Mount Carmel to Basra to Petra to the mile? Just take a wild guess. Oh, 184 miles, exactly, from Mount Carmel to Petra. This is where I'm going to ask you to be a Berean. Go home and Google it. You can look this stuff up these days. Talk to Siri about it. I don't know if she knows or not, but maybe she does. But when I stumbled across that, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. But then it says that the carnage, we're talking the Battle of Armageddon, where the nations are gathered together. We'll get into great detail in Daniel chapter 11 that talks us, tells us exactly where the armies come from. The Antichrist is going to be in Egypt during this time. He's going to get news from the east. And then there's um, other news that's troubling him, and they all meet in the valley of Megiddo. And that gives us more information when we get to Daniel chapter 11, which is this Sunday, It'll be the following Sunday. So when I heard that, and the carnage is, is so great in Revelation 19, which is when the, we get the, the battle is described for us, it says that the, the blood was so deep that it came up to a horse's bridle. And I think to myself, Lord, is that literal? Or is there just places... That the that puddled it was so great that um, uh, that's what it means. Is it the whole distance? And I'm up here to tell you, I don't know. But if it says here, let's go back and close with chapter 14. When the Lord treads the wine press at the great battle of Armageddon, we we read in uh, <clears throat> we read in verse 19, verse 17. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings 
and captains and mighty men of horses and those who dwell on them and slave and um, the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. It's a pretty gory wait <laughs> and the Wednesday night study as we look at chapter 13 and 14. But what do we have? The introduction of um, the abomination of desolation. The beast is killed, but there's a counterfeit resurrection. Uh, we have the other beast, the, the false prophet, who demands the worship. He does false miracles. We have the 144,000 without fault before God's throne. We have angels preaching the everlasting gospel, warning that Babylon has fallen and don't take the mark of the beast. And then sort of a a future event of the battle of Armageddon that is the length from uh, Mount Carmel, which is right next to Haifa. That's where the ships come in, a support place. And that goes, 184 miles goes all the way down to uh, Basra. It's just a coincidence. Just like it's just a coincidence that 3,000 were killed when the law was given, but 3,000 were saved when the Holy Spirit was given. Isn't the Bible interesting? So, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So, Gang, as you get into this, study of it, nothing can stop this from happening. Um, This is, uh, by the time we get to um, 15 and 16, that's next week, these are the bold judgments, and this is the end of planet Earth. As we would know it, 17 and 18 is just description and detail that happened during the second half of the uh, three and a half years. All right, praise the Lord. Let's stand up and we'll go and take it further on Sunday where a whole different dynamic of spiritual warfare enters in, in Daniel chapter 10. Lord, we thank you um, the way you, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, have tied together Um, the book of Daniel with the book of Revelation. We stand in awe when we see how it's integrated and intertwined. Uh, We stand in awe of what's going to happen. And Lord, we're so grateful. And we stand on that verse that you have a plan to take the church out and we are to comfort one another with these words. But Lord, I pray it would also put a burden on our heart that we realize that we are to be witnesses during this period of time that we call the church age, the church age age of grace that whosoever will call upon the Lord, and then, they, and then they'll be saved. And um, knowing these things ahead of time, Lord, I pray you'd stir us up, not to, to give us boldness, to just to share with people, because we simply don't want anybody uh, that we love to have to enter into this terrible period of time. So we thank you for your word tonight. 
and pray that you'd go before us on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.